HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And it is getting close to Labor Day. It is the end of summer, sadly. And the gardens have been wonderful. Fresh produce, tomatoes that we waited for all year. And alas, that will all come to an end. So we start thinking about cold weather foods. And it doesn't necessarily have to be cold weather food. But grains come to mind. And grains grains are a very odd kind of food. They've been around longer than than written history for sure, one of the oldest foods. And you know, it must have been a pretty hungry group of people who first figured out how to harvest and make edible those inner seeds of so many wild plants, and then to develop methods of grinding or milling and soaking and cooking and blending and baking. But grains became the sustenance of life. And then other things came about and they kind of fell out of favor. Well, all you have to do is let a chef at it, right? And a chef gets his hands on it and starts developing some really great recipes. And those grains that we kind of always had on the side of our plate kind of get scooted into the center and they become the star of the show. And today I have with me Bruce Weinstein, Bruce, who is a chef and an author, along with Mark Scarborough, of so many wonderful books, all the Ultimate Cooking Series books and uh, and many others. And they're also contrib- contributing editors to Eating Well and columnists for Weight Watchers and The Washington Post and Cooking Light, and on and on and on and on. Bruce and Mark have written a wonderful new book called Grain Mains. And that is, with wonderful recipes, bringing the grains just as I said, back to the center of the plate as the main course and not relegated just to a side dish again. And Bruce, welcome. I'm happy to have you with me. Oh, thank you, Linda. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, grains grains have such an incredible history. And it's it's really kind of amazing when you think about it that, that they even were discovered to be, you know, something that was edible. 
and and we're and we're re- rediscovering so many of those old grains. Uh, what are some of the the really oldest grains that you've worked with in in testing recipes for this book? Well, some of the oh, I mean, one of the most popular and ancient grains, of course, everybody knows about quinoa. I mean, it's a very old grain from very um, northern uh, northern. Um, altitude, high altitudes, but um, also from South America, from Bolivia and all these South American countries, a very high-protein grain is fantastic. But another grain that a lot of people don't ever think to eat is millet. And yeah. even when Mark and bird I seed, started right? working on the book, I kept thinking of birdseed. Right. You know, that's, that's what's in the bird feeders. But millet has been around forever. In fact, millet was the grain of China before rice. Hmm. And it was, you know, you can historically go back and some of the oldest, um, you know, uh, pastas found in in, um, in Chinese uh, digs, in archaeological digs, were made of uh, millet flour. Interesting. And, and you don't really find, um, you're seeing it in the market now, but you don't find many recipes using millet. No, you really don't, except, as I say, you know, bird, <laughs> bird food <laughs> combinations. Stuff, but that's... That's what we're trying to get away from, because millet is an amazing thing. And in fact, the cover of Maine Grains has a millet burger on it. Oh, is that what that is? That is okay. a millet burger, and it has sun-dried tomatoes and pine nuts and chopped olives in it and some melted provolone. And it is such a hearty burger that actually the leftovers from the photo shoot I put in the smoker. Hmm. And I had smoked millet burgers the next day. Now, and who would who would ever guess you know, from the taste or or the picture, you know that that's what it is. Well, well, you know, it's a great. It's actually a great grain to use for something like a burger. I mean, I chose it for that because it absorbs liquid so well. It holds together. It forms. It's got a quite a meat-like quality when you uh, combine it with the right ingredients. Hmm. Well, now you also you give a nice little um, primer on grains in the beginning of this book, and um, a couple that I know that are less familiar and are also quite old. Um, amaranth, amaranth is has, is it, it kind of having a, a new popularity suddenly. Well, it is, and there are plenty. There's you know there's more than sixty varieties of amaranth that grow um, around the world, and it is. I kind of like um, like an amaranth to sort of caviar of um, of the grains because there's these tiny little pearls that they're slippery and silky and they're porridge like, but they also hold their shape. that give you a tiny little pop when you eat them. I love to make amaranth polenta because mm. you get a creamy richness, but you also get all those individual popping of each grain. It's just an amazing textural experience. Oh, like you say, like a caviar. I can see that, indeed. Yeah. All right, here's one that took me by surprise. Jacob's Tears. <laughs> yeah. Also, sometimes called Job's Tears. Um, it's mostly, it's a very... Oh, uh, Joe, I mean, that's why I'm sorry. Joe, Job's Tears, I just said it. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, in Japanese, where it's very, very common, it's called Hatumugi. Um, and it's, I would be um, remiss if I didn't say that probably... Most of the Job's Tears grown around the world goes into, believe it or not, into jewelry production. Huh. Um, yeah, the, uh, the unrefined grains of Job's Tears have a dark red hard coating, and when that hull is removed, even the inside, they almost look like um, little barley pearls, and they're very, very hard, and they're often drilled and then strung together as rosary beads. 
but I'd love to cook with them because they're very dry and nutty. So it's almost like, imagine tiny little chestnuts is the way I like to describe them, or even little savory black-eyed peas. So they're coarse and they're dry. They're not luxurious and buttery the way some other grains can be. And that texture lends itself to so many interesting um, uses. Like I have a recipe where I make a sort of a picadillo almost. I take all the traditional picadillo um, thing, raisins and almonds and all that, and mix that with Job's Tears instead of meat, and it makes a fantastically textured dish. Wow. Uh, Well, when you say you combine it with so many different ingredients, um, that's one thing I love about the recipes in the book that – um, should be a welcoming thing to people who aren't used to cooking with grains, is that you don't shy away from including meat, mixing meat in with them and cheese in with them. You have, you have meat recipes, you've got vegetarian recipes and, and even vegan recipes, uh, but yeah. that you do combine so many familiar ingredients which then make the grains less intimidating to people who aren't accustomed to cooking with, with all these grains. Now, one and the one that you mentioned too, and also that is probably one of the oldest grains, and that would be teff. Yeah, teff is a fantastic um, grain because it's it's actually a, a kind of a millet, um, and it's I would say that the if you think quinoa is small, you haven't seen teff yet. It's almost like sand. It's so fine. Hmm. Each one of those tiny grains is actually you know, a seed itself. And it's quite amazing. It, it's a moisture sponge, even more so than some of the other grains, um, which, so you have to get used to cooking with it. You'll add a lot more um, liquid than you think. And it's exclusively, I mean, it's almost exclusively, you know, an Ethiopian, definitely an African grain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been grown there, oh my goodness, uh, at least since 4000 B.C., I would I say mean, probably, yeah, well, cultivated, yeah, but, I mean, but grown and found in that, in well, certainly in that, in that area for it uh, is. It, and tens so of centuries. If you've ever eaten in an Ethiopian restaurant, you know you've eaten taff. Mm. You've eaten the breads, you've eaten all that stuff. So it's, it's not necessarily a grain that you would cook and make a salad out of, as you would do from wheat berries, mm-hmm. um, but it is a grain that you would use as an ingredient in breads or cakes. In fact, we have recipes for griddle cakes with them, and I even make a teff gnocchi in a cheddar sauce in the book, which is outstanding. Talk about being creative. That was <laughs> very creative. Um, you, What I think would be helpful to listeners who maybe aren't familiar with um, a lot of these more esoteric grains is to kind of give us a description of, of or an explanation, we always refer to these as whole grains, you know, whole grain cereals, whole grain bread, whole grain. Yeah. Give, us a, give us a little, the real rundown on, on grains and whole grains and what is a grain in the whole grain? Well, when we talk about a whole grain, we're talking about the grain that has not been refined. And the easiest way for people I think, to understand that is you look at brown rice versus white rice. And brown rice, the germ is still on the out, is still intact, and it, it's got components of it that haven't been polished off. And in white rice, all that's taken off, and it's nice and clean, and you're just eating what they call the endosperm, the inside of the grain, the starch pellet that is the food for the grain. The endosperm in a grain is almost like the egg yolk in an egg. Mm-hmm. 
it's what gives the nourishment as the grain starts to grow. And that's why we love it. It's sweet. It's got lots of sugar in it. But when you take away all that other stuff that's outside it, you're losing a lot of beneficial nutrients and a lot of beneficial fiber, which is really important. And so you're basically just having the sugar. So when we eat a whole grain, it's not refined to an extent. Now, every single grain that grows has a hull on it. And that hull, except for one grain, we'll come back to that, has to be removed. Mm -hmm. No matter how much you want to eat the germ and the bran and everything else, because the bran is underneath the hull. And like on brown rice, the brown is the bran. It's wonderful. It's tasty. It's fibrous. But the hull will be inedible. So the hull is removed on almost all grains. I say almost because there is one, Linda, that you know of. There's one grain that can be eaten in its entirety and even raw, and that's corn. Mm-hmm. When you peel back the husk, each one of those kernels, it has an edible soft hull. It's the only one. Otherwise, you're, you're eating grains that have been processed a little bit, but they're still whole grains because the bran is still intact. Well, and that can be confusing to a lot of people. There may be a recipe calls for hullless barley. <laughs> <laughs> but, but wait, I want to eat the whole grain. Well, that's as opposed to polished or processed barley. I mean, you know, the, right. all these, all, yes, so much Yes, pearled to barley is when they process it to the point where pearled barley is the equivalent of white rice. Mm-hmm. It, is, it has its bran removed. So if you're eating pearl barley, you're not eating a whole grain. You have to look for hullus barley, which is, still has its bran intact. Yeah, it's you know it's a real education. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot when researching all of these grains. I mean, I knew about a lot of grains, but there was a lot I learned too, and it was really fascinating, you know, to discover some of this stuff. Yeah, it was, yeah. you know, one of the things I always loved. I mean, rice has always been a fascination to me. And I love red rices, and there were so many kinds of red rice and black rice and brown rice, and it gets its color from the bran that's around the um, the rice. And so the hull has been removed from all that. But one of the rices that I've always loved was green rice. And in reading, reading researching for grain mains, realizing that all those years I was not eating a whole grain when I had green rice. Hmm. That's simply a polished white rice that is soaked in bamboo juice to give it a green color. Huh. Tasty, but Interesting. not necessarily more nutritious. Yeah. Well, Here's a question I'm going to put to you, and, and, and I know you've explored some of the answers. Other than the, so other than the obvious, and those are we'll get to those, which is cooking techniques, why do you think that grains kind of fell out of popularity over the decades or even a century? Uh, I mean, they're part of, you know, you go to, to old European families, well, they, they make quite, especially like Greece and other different places, make quite a bit of use of of grains, um, and but they really fell out of, of use with um, popular culture. They have, especially in this country, and I think a lot of that um, came comes down to time. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, whole grains are very time consuming. Um, just you know, take a look at what happened in the middle of the last century with minute rice. Yeah, right. You know, not only <laughs> even white rice became. Too difficult for people. Couldn't I don't, even I don't take the twenty. Yeah, it couldn't even take the twenty minutes to cook up a pot of rice. It had to be minute exactly. rice. Exactly. Boil in a yeah, bag, the, right? <laughs> the boil in bag, the pre-cooked, the pre-soaked, the instant oatmeal. Everything had to be faster, faster, faster. And I think as we're all realizing, we've given up a lot. We've given up a lot in our nutrition. We've given up a lot in our health by eating that way. But 
even more important, as a chef, we've given up our ability to taste good food. Mm, And all of those convenience products, all of those ways to cut down um, the time it takes to cook, not only cut away time, but cut away flavor. And so we have an entire generation now of kids who don't know what real food tastes like. It's true. It's true. So it's really important to start getting some of this real food back into their lives. Well, you touched on the on the health benefits just now. Um, there are, um, I mean, tremendous health benefits to whole grains. Can you talk about oh, that a little bit? Well, sure there are. It's funny because one of the things that Mark and I decided when we wrote Grain Mains that we were not going to do, we were going to have a grain book without ever talking about your colon. (laughs) (laughs) We won't go there today. (laughs) That's what most people think about first. Oh, they're healthy. I don't want to eat that. The problem that we wanted to overcome was not even to talk about the health, but talk about how delicious these things are. Don't come at it because it's healthy. Come at it because these are amazingly delicious ingredients. Now, they are healthy, and I could talk a little bit about why. Every time you eat a whole grain, you're getting more fiber. They exit your stomach more slowly, so you're getting a slower sugar hit into your blood, so they're better for for glucose control. Um, They're better for appetite control, because if you eat a whole grain cereal for breakfast, you're going to be less hungry two hours later than if you eat you know, a bowl of sugared cereal. That's right. The, the stick-to-your-ribs food, they call it, right? <laughs> it does. It actually sticks to your stomach. Yeah. And it just takes that much longer to process and digest and exit your stomach. And then once it does, it helps keep things moving forward once it gets down there. And so you tend to have less digestive health problems when you eat whole grains. Your triglycerides will get lower. Your good cholesterol will go up. Your bad cholesterol will go down. And they just have that amazing ability to improve health. Yeah. Well, you know, in this country particularly, and and, and many around the world, I think it was a post-World War II um, kind of push to have the well-balanced meal. And that would mean your protein main meat center with your two or, you know, your starch and and a vegetable in a green. And I think that in part pushed some of the whole grain dishes away too because they were too heavy as you just said they were too filling they needed all those whole grains if you have you know a piece of chicken and and a side of carrots and some mashed potatoes you know and i i think that if we get over that thinking of how a meal is to be constructed it'll help us incorporate some of these especially reading your book and and looking at some of those wonderful uh, delicious recipes uh will help us get over that and it it really um of course, it was also pushing, you know, the victory gardens, and, and they were it all was. political reasons, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, Linda, I couldn't agree with you more that we need to think how to restructure our dinner plates. And the only way we could begin that is to look at other ingredients, not as I have to put it there because it's helpful. Mm-hmm. I have to put it there because it's delicious. Delicious, yeah, yeah. So that's what we try to do in Grain Mains is to talk and feature all the delicious gourmet qualities to whole grains. Well, we're going to... They're amazing. They are, and we're going to get to some of those specific gourmet qualities in just a moment, right after a short break.
White Oak Pastures is a 146-year-old multi-generational family farm that works in cooperation with nature to produce artisan meat that is safe, healthy, nutritious, and good to eat. Without fail, we ensure that our production practices are economically practical, ecologically sustainable, and that the animals are always humanely treated. We never falter in our determination to conduct our business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. We are back on A Taste of the Past, and I am speaking with Bruce Weinstein, who, together with Mark Scarborough, is the author of the newest, his newest book, uh, Grain Mains, 101, help me out here, 101 Delicious, here, what's right on my book? Surprising uh, and satisfying. <laughs> 101 Surprising and Satisfying Whole Grain Recipes for Every Meal of the Day. Every meal of the day, indeed, you give lots of wonderful examples of how grains can be incorporated to every meal. And But the, it, what the really, the wonderful thing is, you just said one of the reasons perhaps that they f- fell out of favor for so many years was their time-consuming or often thought of to be time-consuming to cook. And indeed, most whole grains need to be soaked and cooked longer. But you give some wonderful tips on how we can can get around that and say at the last minute, yeah, let's throw together a a wheat berry salad. Why don't you tell me about that? Well, there are a number of ways to get around the fact that it takes a long time. Um, And that is, first of all, you could spend, you know, a couple of hours one day a week and cook up three or four different kinds of grains, including wheat berries, and have them cooked in a bowl in your refrigerator, ready to throw into a salad at a moment's notice. And that's always a really wonderful way to do it. I can also recommend using a pressure cooker. You know, if you're really short on time and you haven't thought about it, you can cut the cooking time way down by throwing some grains of water in a pressure cooker, and 20 minutes later you'll have the grains ready to go. You can also look at grains like quinoa, which only take 10 or 12 minutes to cook, and they don't require soaking. So you're not necessarily forcing the time uh, into your schedule by saying, I'm going to make a whole grain dish this week. Mm. And having those at the ready in the refrigerator gives you that quick option as well. That Um, gives you a great option to make everything from a wheat berry gazpacho salad to a rye berry Reuben salad to even whip up some Kamut burgers for dinner if you have the Kamut already cooked in your refrigerator. Oh, I like that idea. <laughs> Invite some, <laughs> hey, come on over for some Kamut burgers. <laughs> well, I love Kamut. Kamut is actually one of my favorite grains because although it's sort of Kamut is a form of wheat, um, it's a gore, it's a excuse me, it's a, it's a high end um, grain that is always organic. And um, it, when you cook it, it, actually, I was telling Mark yesterday, I was making, cooking up some kamut, and the house filled with the smells of both bread baking and popcorn popping, huh. which is what kamut gives off. And it's a, it's a large grain. It's very buttery. It's almost like a wheat berry on steroids and then has a butter flavor in it. Oh, it's quite amazing. Wow, wow. Um, <laughs> it, we were talking about the, the cooking, and, of course, with um, you mentioned a couple of different dishes. What I wanted to um, to talk to mention is that you, in the classic whole grain dishes, or that we know of in this country as classic whole grain dishes, you say that sometimes some of them were the flavorings and the and the um, seasonings were dumbed down for the 
for the modern palate. <laughs> uh, why? What is that about? I'm what happened? I'm afraid that I believe seasonings and flavorings have been dumbed down across the board, not hmm. just in grain dishes. I think that as a society, as we have um, morphed and changed and grown accustomed to more tasteless food that has been overprocessed and made quickly and lost all of its really delicious parts of the, uh, the ingredients, we've, we've just as a whole found, uh, lost our taste even for spices. When Mark and I teach cooking classes, I'm always surprised by how light people go in seasoning. Hmm. You know, we'll be doing a paella class, and we'll tell people, you know, please, you need to, you're each making a paella, choose the seasoning you want. We have thyme, we have rosemary, we have oregano, we have fennel fronds out. And well, whereas I'm taking handfuls, handfuls of herbs, people are taking tiny little leaves, one leaf of parsley, <laughs> one leaf of this. And how many people across the board, almost in every cooking class, tell me they don't like rosemary, it's too strong. I think just in general, at least in the U.S. culture, we've lost our taste for heavily spiced food. And I'm hoping that as people begin to eat more whole grains, which have so much flavor, so much more flavor, so much more texture, they'll both discover the flavors of herbs and spices as well as realize that it's a necessary balance. Yeah. Well, certainly the refined grains, I mean, you, you, they, you know, they, the, the herbs and the seasonings do stand out much more because... As you as you said, it's they've been refined and processed out to to practically nothing. But There's nothing there to balance, right? But if you have these the sweet, all they are is sweet, right? You have that rich it's flavor good. of all those whole grains. You can you can try your your hand at a little heavier a heavier hand. Yeah, there's, there's so many more, and there's so much more subtle flavors to the grains. And so, yeah, you can blend. Like if you think about what pearl barley tastes like. It's, I mean, it's delicious. I love barley, but it has a very flat flavor. It has a very sweet flavor. When you then compare that, if you've never tried hullus barley or even black barley, it's like, oh, my goodness, the flavor. Yeah, it still tastes like barley, but there's all these levels and layers of flavor, which then allow you to play with ingredients. In fact, I made a black barley salad for the book that I was able to add so much to balance the flavor of black barley. I used chickpeas dates and toasted almonds and roasted red peppers and i've got smoked paprika and oregano it's just there are these amazing flavors that that don't overpower the bland barley because it's not bland mm, yeah well i just as i said earlier in the show i love how you um really make such good use of of other ingredients with the grains being using as you said chef it up you know like be creative, and um, as you would with any dish, uh, pasta. You know, using making a pasta, making a you know a vegetable salad. A, a combine different flavors and cheeses, and even bacon. <laughs> oh, uh, first of all, I'm not giving up bacon, and <laughs> no one's going to make me. And secondly, what we've done in Grain Mains, you said it earlier. There are meat friendly recipes. There are vegetarian, and there are vegan. We didn't want alienate anybody. Grains are for everybody. They're not just for the vegans among us, mm-hmm. and they're not just for the vegetarians. 
Just because you like meat doesn't mean you can't also love grains. Oh, yeah, so, the tagine, you know? <laughs> the, the, the tagine recipe you have in that book alone is just that for anyone who's you know is hesitant to combine a whole grain with their meat. They just got to read that recipe. That's wonderful. It's fantastic when you start putting lamb and whole grains together. Look, chances are you would serve it with a whole grain on the side. Right. So why not cook that whole grain in with the flavorful meat and broth and get all that flavor into the meat. Look, if anyone has ever been to New Mexico and had pozole, mm-hmm. well, that's a whole grain right there. And so the recipe I've done in the book is with pork shoulder. So you have pork stew meat and green chilies and hominy and tomatillos, and that is a whole grain dish that has been served for ever in the American Southwest. Yeah. Oh, that's. It. I mean, some of these, are, as I say, are, are very creative and new combinations. And as you say, some are classics. Uh, you and Mark are no strangers to taking on difficult topics, I must say. I mean, well, just for, so our listeners know, your um, previous book was Goat, Milk, Meat, and Cheese. And, I mean, if you can... If you can sell the public on goat and you can sell them on, on whole grains, okay. Well, they have something in common. They're something that's actually healthy for you and something that is so full of flavor. I was comparing earlier the taste of hullus and purple barley to pearl barley. We were talking about the difference of the taste between brown and black rice to white rice. Well, goat versus, say, pork or commercially farm beef, there's no comparison. Commercially farmed beef is delicious, but it is bland. It tastes, it is, we've gotten to a point where most commercially farmed meat just has a generic protein taste. Mm. But yet goat is always raised on small farms. It is not commercially raised. And the flavor is distinctive and it's delicious and it doesn't just taste like bland protein. All right. Well, here, don't, you know, same uh, thing. Here at Heritage Radio Network, we do a nice push with goats from through Heritage Foods. We have no goat left behind. I mean, people don't realize they love goat. Goat cheese has, has is so yeah. popular today, but you know, only the females are making that milk and making. The, what, <laughs> what are you going to do with all those male? You need the males, you know, to re- well, what are you going to do with those yeah. male goats? Yeah, so. Well, where we live in uh, Litchfield County in Connecticut, there is a local goat dairy that. Of course, every fall, they slaughter the males mm-hmm. that were born in the spring. And I always go, because it gets me closer to the meat I'm eating, too. I always felt, for years, I've always thought it was important to know the farmer that raised the meat I eat, as well as the vegetables. And now, I actually get to know the animals. Yeah, it, it is, It's an important lesson. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, something you mentioned in the Grain Mains book is that, uh, you know, the, Talk about how we shop in a supermarket, and you know we've been now drilled that with shopping the perimeter because that's where the fresh dairy and the produce and you know and the meats are, and you get all that. And the grains are usually put in the center aisles, right? Yeah. Well, there's when, a lot in the center aisles. You shop the perimeter, you're going to be missing a whole lot. And plus, supermarkets now know people are doing that, so there's a lot of garbage in the perimeter. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they're wise to that. <laughs> well, when they start putting the whole grains and goat meat, when I can find goat meat in the supermarket, that'll be that'll be a day, right? You usually have to go well, to the you know, outer I, boroughs. I, there's one. My local supermarket um, actually does, on a regular basis, have goat. And um, there are two other markets I go to on a regular basis, and they always tell me with a week's notice they can get it for me. Good for them. That's great. So yeah. you know, 
go to the butcher guy behind the meat counter and ask. Yep. That's what I tell everybody. Just go and ask. Let them get it for you. It'll be, I, it is not hard for them to get it. That's right. And throw in a few whole grains there, too. <laughs> well, Bruce, thank you so much for talking with me about uh, about this this really important topic to expand our, our horizons in eating. Main grains. 101 surprising and satisfying whole grain recipes for every meal of the day. A real education, it is. And um, Bruce Weinstein and Mark Scarborough, if you um, just go and, and look up their books, they have a wonderful array of books. And each one, as I say, is usually tackling a topic that um, maybe we haven't given as much thought to as we should have. Bruce, again, thank you so much for joining me. This thank has you. been A Taste of the Past, and I'm Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.